So, welcome everybody to this edition of uh, Africano, the monthly seminar by uh, hosted by the Norwegian Council for Africa, Fellesrådet for Africa. Uh, today, as at this brand new venue, uh, every last Wednesday uh, of the month, uh, we host uh, a seminar or a debate at Kulturhuset on topics or countries or um, various uh, debates that relate to Africa and to the work that we are doing in the Norwegian Council for Africa. We are a human rights and solidarity movement that work with uh, challenging the, the structures and perceptions that uh, uh, contribute to hindering uh, development, justice and human rights uh, throughout the continent. So we work a lot with understanding issues and uh, contributing to a better understanding in the Norwegian uh, debate, um, as well as challenge policies and practices uh, on, on part of the Norwegian government or on the part of uh, companies operating uh, on the continent. Now, um, I want to say before we get started on, on today's topic that uh, we are very, very happy uh, to invite you all to uh, become a member of the Norwegian Council for Africa. We are a, we are a members-based organization. So if you want to know more about uh, our work and how you can uh, contribute as a member, uh, you can talk to Ragnhild afterwards in the back. Uh, and, <coughs> but, um, yeah, turning to to, uh, to today's topic, um, I think uh, I'm going to leave uh, the introduction of the of our uh, of our guests and and the topic itself to uh, to our bo board member, uh, Lina Skulsson, please. Thank you, Johan. Um, good evening, people. How was the climb up the stairs? No one has to go to the gym for like another month now, right? That's how this works. Um, thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, thank you to our panelists uh, for being here. I just want to introduce them quickly. Um, over here, we have uh, Omar Abdul Mohammed or Omar um, Abdul Afi, which I've been asked to call you. Um, Omar is Masters in International Relations from OS, currently working as a counselor for HERO, but uh, we have in our midst a former TV anchor and uh, journalist who's been working for one of Somalia's biggest media houses for many years and has written extensively about uh, Somalia and, uh, and Kenya. And here we have uh, Andrew Ratanya Mukaria, he's Kenyan. Um, with a theological, philosophical, cultural, and human rights academic background. I had to write that list down. Uh, currently enrolled for a master's degree in human rights at the University of Oslo, and um, a political analyst, analyst of uh, Kenyan political relations. Um, did I represent <coughs> you accurately? Yes. Fantastic. Um, so people, tonight we are going to talk about uh, Somalis in Kenya, um, the relationship between Somalia and, uh, and Kenya, 
and the role that the Somali question um, has played and plays in Kenyan uh, political rhetoric and realities. So I wanted, if I wanted to start us off by getting some background information about the topics that uh, we are talking about. So I'm wondering if we can start by going back in time and get some historical context. And um, Andrew, if we can start with you. Um, prior to the refugee movement that followed the civil war in, um, in uh, Somalia, so before 1991, who were the Somalis living in Kenya? And uh, speak into the microphone, everyone. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, the question is prayer to the 1991 crisis in Somalia. Normally this, there are two perspectives to look at it because uh, there are Somali, ethnic Somalis of Kenya who lives in northeastern part of Kenya, um, predominantly in various parts like Garissa, Mandera, and Wajir. Um, they have been evident there for a long time, even before the colonial boundaries were created which separated them from the current of the Republic of Somalia and uh, others uh, going to Ethiopia. So in other words, within the understanding of Somali groups, the Somalis of Kenya are part of the larger Somali etymological groups in terms of language and culture and social issues. So um, that's the, 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 the people who lived in northern eastern part of Kenya doing their trend and cultural issues and other activities prior to the, to the uh, crisis in Somalia. These kind of groups, maybe to look from historical perspective, um, from the colonial part of it, they were subjecting some issues uh, from the onset uh, that's of the culture of marginalization neglect because uh, the Northeastern Frontier, which was called the, the Northeastern Frontier District, was more of a, due to it being more of dry part of Kenya, had no much interest to do with the colonial government. So the colonial government concentrated on the central part of Kenya and the western part of Kenya, and mainly caused because of the trade activities. So the northeastern part of Kenya became a neglected part where majority of Somali lives, and then uh, come to the independent 1961, maybe to give some bit of historical perspective, come to independent 1963, it happens that the colonial government wanted to trade ties with the Somali Republic that the, this group, Kenya government may agree that they go back to, or the northern part of Kenya may become part of the Somali Republic, of which the Kenyatta government refuted, hence emerging what was called the sensation movement between the Kenya government and the Somalia of ethnic group of uh, Kenyan Somali. Now the secession group became a conflict between the Kenya government of that time, also supported partly by the Somali Republic, and it has brought the conflict of what was called the shifter movement, which Kenyatta was trying to repress. So that repressing activity created a more of an antagonistic perspective between the government then versus the Kenyatta government. Kamoi regime, still the marginalization continues and other kind of uh, neglect of the northern part of Kenya, such that when Somalis may be coming to Nairobi and other parts, they used to say, we are going to Kenya rather than claiming they are part of Kenya. So 
maybe that's the brief uh, introduction I could give. Yeah. Umar, uh, in my notes it says uh, Shifta War and Wangala Massacre. Could you be able to tell us a bit about those events? Yeah. First, uh, thanks to the invitation, and I'm really glad that I have I'm a part of this I mean uh, seminar. And it gives me great pleasure to discuss about this issue, which was a kind of issue that I was interested uh, to discuss uh, with some Kenyans for a long time. And if I come back, first I will just say... Omar, I'm sorry. Um, the people in the back are struggling to hear you. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yeah. Uh, as I said, uh, this, I mean, discussion uh, about Somalis in Kenya, it is a kind of, I mean, discussion that I was longing for since I was, I mean, young to discuss with some Kenyans. And I'm really happy that I'm a part of this one. But before I came to, the, to answer your question, I will just say, uh, I'll try to answer very short your first question, which was, who are the, who were the Kenyan, who were the Somalis in Kenya mm. superior to the they were Somalis. And I always say they were, I mean, still they are Somalis, and uh, they were a part of the Somali community who are living in East Africa, which is scattered around Kenya, Somalia, and Ethiopia. And they belong to the same ethnic group, which is Somali, who has, uh, who speaks the same language, has the same culture, religion, and also the same ethnic, I mean, uh, I mean, ethnic group. Uh, coming to your answer, the shifta is a word which means bandit. And it has been used uh, by the uh, Kenyan uh, government to, I mean, to, to put, I mean, the picture of the secessionist group who was fighting to liberate or to get their independence from, the, from Kenya to join their Somali, I mean, brothers. So, Shifta is a word that has been used against those people. And uh, the, there was a fighting between those, I mean, the Somalis in Kenya and the, and the Jomo Kenyatta administration right from 1963 until 1967 when the Arusha meeting mm. has happened in Tanzania. And, the, you know, the, the, the problem was like, at that time, there was a great Somalia idea, which was over, I mean, all the Somalis had. Uh, um, when we look back, the history of Somalia, Somalia was divided into five, I mean, by the colonials. Uh, Djibouti, which was under the French and Ethiopian region of Somalia, which was under the British, and also the Jubaland area, which was NFD, mm. uh, part of it was under the British also and the Somali-Italian, and North, which was, uh, I mean, colonized by the British. So British had three regions. And those regions, uh, when uh, the, the, the independence of Somalia came close, the Somalis have decided, uh, I mean, have decided to join together, and they revisited the idea that uh, Somaliland, the current Somaliland, which is the north of Somalia, uh, decided to join, I mean, uh, the Italian Somaliland, and they have formed the Somali, I mean, uh, Republic uh, 
this this Somalia, uh, in, I mean British have decided to hand over the this area NFD to the Kenyans. The Somalis have reported and they reduced it and they have started to fight against that one. Already Jomo Kenyatta had a problem when he was coming to the office, so he tried to subjugate to end that initiative idea, you know, by force, and it didn't work for him. Then the British and other, you know, countries have started to support the, the this kind of, uh, I mean, I mean, subjugation against the Somali people. So Kenyans were just, they have just used a kind of, uh, I mean, security measurement, which put the Tana River, uh, I mean, uh, the Tana River as a border. So as he mentioned, the Somalis in Northeastern country were Kenyans who are not Kenyan since 1963. And whenever they are going to, I mean, uh, Nairobi or other place, they used to say we are going to Kenya. And still, I think they are in the same situation, though they have some, I mean, powerful figures in the political, I mean, in the political, or I mean, in the, in the politics of Kenya. So that's what I should add, you know, to. I wanted to uh, remind you the Wagala massacre. Uh, Wagala massacre was uh, it happened in 1980. Uh, there was a conflict between two. I mean, Somali clans who live in Wajer area. And the, I mean, the Kenyans, they have always used it as a method to, I mean, to say that a when any problem has happened in the, in the, in the area, they have used the, the idea of shifter to do whatever they want to, to massacre those people. So they said those people who came to the area, one particular clan, they said this clan are with the shifter and they want to, I mean, uh, to spoil the, the security of the country. So they have taken 5,000 men from Wajir area into, I mean, uh, military base outside Wajir. And those people have been kept in that for three days without having access to water and food. And at the end they have killed all of them. So it was a massacre. And now they have started to, to deal with that one. And they are talking about uh, about it and how they will just make kind of, uh, I mean, th they have started to discuss in Kenya. And it's a big issue. But there's another one which is more, I mean, uh, problematic than that one, which, uh, which I will say uh, even was worse than that one. It, it's a Garza massacre. They have killed more than 3,000 people, including women and children. So first of all, what year is this and who are they? Uh, those, who have been those who have been killed were Somalis in Kenya from Garissa. And what's worse is those who are not Somalis, they were allowed to go. The only Somalis he made there, and they have been killed, 3,000, including women and children, in 1986. And it has got a name, and that name is Garissa Gubek, mm. the destruction of Garissa, which is well known. Yeah. Andrew, <coughs> would you like to add something from yeah, the Kenyan uh, perspective? Yeah, I think I think the two remains one of the most uh, uh, dark past of Kenya history. 
the Wangala massacre and the Garissa massacre, which were conducted solely because of the group of the people who were bargaining and demanding for to be listened, to be heard. Um, well, I, I, I can respond it from a perspective, looking from a human rights perspective, because uh, under the Moi regime, there was a lot of sup su uh, suppression of the people wanting to hear their voices, to be listened. And Moi was using the provincial administration to silence the people, especially chiefs and uh, DCs and DUs and uh, province commissions. And these of Wangala massacre happened where provincial com under the command of the government of the day uh, went and saw to it that over 2,000 Kenyans of ethnic Somalis or Oromo group of people were killed and buried to unknown graves. And then only 200 were spoken about. And then it is something which is being investigated now, but still it remains the dark secret because even all the reports which have come of the past and previous justices, there still remains the top secret of the government of the day. No government is trying to unearth uh, even those issues despite the current uh, constitution we have in Kenya. So it's both uh, political issues as well as, as uh, dark past of history. So we talked about what happened prior to the uh, Somali civil war and the refugee movements. Now let's, let's get to that. Um, Omar, for those of us who have been living under a rock the last uh, 25 years, could you give us a super brief backing in what happened in Somalia that uh, made it necessary for a lot of people to move across the borders? Yeah. Super quickly. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> Somalia is a country located in the East Africa. Uh, actually, it's one of the countries that adapted the democracy from the West. In 1960, it was the first election, I mean, that took place in Africa was has happened in Somalia. And Aden Abdullah Isman was elected as the Somali president. And after that one, there was mm -hmm. another election uh, where Abdrashid Ali Sharmarke was elected and he was unfortunately assassinated in Las Anwa. And from that time, Somalia came into the state of uh, military controller because Siad Bar has taken the power. Uh, he was uh, a military, I mean, uh, general and he has controlled the country in 21 years. During that time, I mean, many people would say that he has committed, I mean, some kind of atrocities, which uh, my, my friends uh, from Somalia would not agree with me, and I don't agree even uh, with some of those. Uh, he was doing what he, he did to keep his power, but some from the north, and some from the middle of the of Somalia says that he did, uh, I mean, some kind of atrocity against the people. But when I came uh, to how was Somalia during that time, it was one of the best countries, and I was one of those people who have been educated by the Somali government. I have gone to the school. Uh, I did my secondary school at that time, and I have uh, uh, fortunately started the university before I left the country. So before 1991, Somalia was one of the best countries in East Africa. And I still uh, think that Somalia will come back and be one of the best countries in Africa. I know that many of you who have, I mean, uh, were born, I mean, are, you know, after the, 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 the fighting has started in Somalia. And some were very young when the fighting has started in Somalia. 
And you might think that, I mean, you, you might not know how Somalia was working. I had hoped that I should bring my, my computer and show you some of the pictures of Somalia. But since I just, uh, I had hoped that I would bring my computer with me and show you some of the good pictures of Somalia during that time. But fortunately, we don't have, you know, uh, I'm, I'm projector and that I sounds cannot. sounds like uh, the next African law session, yeah, don't you maybe. think? Um, but Somalia was, you know, was one of the best countries. And but don't worry, we have to uh, we yeah. have to be brief. So um, Somalia was a fantastic country, and uh, and <laughs> but people had to flee it. Yeah. So uh, so uh, what happened, uh, and uh, where did people go? Uh, the people have <coughs> gone to where the international, I mean, media says a state, I mean, a failed state, and uh, a country where everything can happen. But still, I say that the Somalia are, they were. I mean, how can I say they equipped with the problem they had? They are resilient. Even though they had a problem, they still, I mean, there. And when I, if I try to answer your question, I, I, I know what you are looking for. <laughs> uh, you want to know that what is going on in Somalia, mm. why we are fighting each other, mm. and why all of this, I mean, chaos uh, happening in the country. Mm. You know, if you look at the Somali, uh, people as a society were divided into, uh, sorry to say, into clan groups. And the clans do not have any problem between them, but it's the, 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 the clan politics which is creating more problem. So the those who wants to gain or to get what they want are using the clan to address each other. So that's the problem. It's not a problem between the society. It's not between the uh, problem between the people. It's between I I the problem is between groups who wants to control the country, and maybe I will mention some of them. Those who were called, I mean, warlords. They were a part of those ones. I think we have to to wrap up that mm. question um, for for this time. Um, so. A large number of people from Somalia had to flee Somalia, and uh, quite a few of them traveled into Kenya. Now, Andrew, what was it that, what kind of system was established for the people that came from Somalia to Kenya? And please, will you all speak into the microphones, because the people in the back are giving me the stinky yeah. eyes. I think I'm speaking loud enough. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, what I can say is, uh, Somali came to Kenya when uh, the demographic scope of Kenya refugee perspective were changing. Uh, because uh, in Kenya, we can look at it from three perspectives in terms of refugee. Kenya has been hosting uh, different refugees from different uh, neighboring countries, friends. Uh, it started with Uganda to say um, in early 1970s, the 80s, and DRC Congo. That time is what we can call it maybe the golden age of refugees in Kenya because the refugees came that time, they enjoyed uh, a lot of privileges that the system was militating them, accommodating them. They could work, interact, intermingle freely without any difficulties. But uh, Somali in 1991 came when Southern Sudan was also in conflict and uh, Rwanda Burundi came later as well. 
So it was the period which we can call period of uh, encampment, where refugees had to stay in camps. Uh, but still Kenya not created a more uh, strategic uh, plan, maybe to receive the Somalis uh, refugees because it was an over overwhelming situation to them. And uh, uh, that's why there was a lot of infiltration to see. Uh, there was no measures to see the camps are controlled, contained, the activities within the camp and uh, how they can be integrated in the system. And then understand again there was that uh, uh, idea of trying to profile maybe that bad blood between the ethnic Kenyan Somalis from that historic perspective we talked and the government of the day. So whereby you meet even the Kenyan Somalis themselves before, if you are going to get ID card, you could be asked to bring your grandmother's and grandfather's ID and your parent's ID, unlike other group of Kenyans, maybe where I come from or other places. So when uh, the Somali from Somali Republic came, it became more difficult, not only for the Somali refugees themselves, but as well for the uh, ethnic uh, Kenyan Somalis. But because there was no much control, I think uh, the refugees who came and the Somalis who came and access to major towns of Kenya, uh, major places, some were able to acquire IDs despite the difficulties and become more in, uh, intangibilized within the system. Uh, so, so that's how the system was then. Uh, so it was more of a overwhelming situation for Kenyans and uh, a challenging situation for Somalis themselves. But them that were able to access the system uh, freely entered the system and were able to engage in business activities, uh, feel part of the social system. But them that stayed in the refugee camp, especially in Dadaab, I don't think the situation has been that welcoming for them for those years. Uh, because understand that Northeastern is already is a marginalized part of Kenya, is a neglected places with less infrastructures and uh, uh, in educations in terms of hospitals and uh, other kind of access. So, and that's the situation that um, uh, the Somali refugees met themselves with. So I can say that in, in, in scale. So you both told me before uh, we came here that you were not very interested in talking about the dub, um, but I still have to ask you about the yes, dub. You can't avoid um, it. <laughs> Omar, do you want to uh, mention quickly, what is the dub? Well, uh, <coughs> I told you that I wouldn't like to talk about the refugee in the dub because it gives me like, I feel, I mean, pity whenever I heard about the s situation of the Somalis in the dub. So that's why I don't want, and the other thing that I don't want it, it is, uh, in these days it become kind of politicized issue. The Kenyan are using the dub, uh, the refugee in the dub as a tool to put pressure on the Somali government. But we have to start so from the beginning, so the dub so being the a dub big mm. refugee camp. Yeah, uh, the dub uh, is a refugee camp where 5,000, I mean 500,000 Somalis are living in a severe condition. Uh, those people have been there since 1991. Some of them were born there. And they don't see, I mean, any future in front of them because they are, they cannot go back to Somalia where the fighting is going on. And they cannot came to the other parts of Kenya because of Tanariva border. 
when I'm saying Tana River border is there's a bridge in Garissa. Whoever wants to cross there, I mean, has a big problem. They may be arrested. They may be, I mean, deported. So they have to stay that area, which is very bad condition. Maybe I can share something. Yes, please. Well, uh, the, the, the whole picture can be painted. Uh, well, I'm a Kenyan now. I'm looking from perspective of Kenya. Mm. Um, maybe to react to that. Maybe you get some kind of, I mean, benefit yes. for the religious yes. being yes. there. Yes, yes. Uh, you well you, know, you get from the international community, yes. you get a lot of support. And even those Kenyan, I mean, Somalis in the refugee camps, they are just contributing to the, to the economy of the country. There's a lot of Kenyans there selling, you know, products which is come from from the other I mean parts of Kenya so yeah you can talk about the perspective of Kenya in a good way yes 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 I, I'm presenting maybe not the best way possible but at least uh, trying to be devil's advocate in some way well uh, th that's good yes because uh, well in Kenya situation is what I said is the situation was overwhelming and that's what I presented because the golden age of refugees, as I said, is, was golden age indeed. But when the Somali issues come, despite what we talked about, uh, we can't look at just in blanket level because all refugees have been subjected in that kind of situation. Not only those in Dadaab, even those who were in Kakuma when it came to encampment period. So it's not necessarily because Kenya government neglected or is neglected because this is an international responsibility rather than Kenya responsibility. This is something which the international community has to take more efficient, effective to see that the refugees are taken care of because Kenya as well as a nation is limited in funded resources. So whereby you meet in one or the other, there are some refugees who enjoy better privilege than the Kenyans themselves. We have internally displaced Kenyans who are suffering. We have Kenyans who have been marginalized in history, in northern part of Kenya as well, in Turkana, who are suffering, like more than refugees actually, who receive a share of the international donation. So we can't blanket this win and say like, this is a failure of Kenya as such, but there is also a responsibility where the international community maybe has failed to affect the issues of refugees within these camps. Gentlemen, we are coming back to Dodab, um, uh, but uh, I want to wrap up the part where we talk about the context. Um, because now we have to move on to Al-Shabaab. Um, and um, again, you keep getting these questions from me, but if I've been hiding under a rock uh, for quite some time, um, what can you tell me what is Al-Shabaab, Omar? Well, I just wanted to say something there. Uh, after Please, can we friend, come back to but that? I'll you just might go we'll on to, we'll make time. To, uh, to, to describe or to define or to discuss a little bit who are Al-Shabaab. Mm. Al-Shabaab are not Somalis. I will say, I will say, Somalis are part of a Shabab. Some Somalis, but they are not Somalis, you know. Do you know what I'm saying? When you came to, so you know, in Somalia, uh, the country was, was like, it wa the country was, I mean, having a problem since 1991. So it has become a breeding, I mean, ground for everyone who wants to do whatever they want. So a Shabab consists of I mean, people who come from Kenya, even the leaders of the, of the Ashabab were Kenyans, Muhammad Fasul, uh, Abdullah, uh, whatever you call, 
those who were leading the, the, the country, I mean leading Ashabab were from Kenya. We had, you know, uh, young men who have been used by people who come from outside, from Yemen, from Kenya, and even Ethiopia. And to mention, there was a man from U.S., his name was ha Hamama. He was a great, I mean, great, great leader of Ashabab. So Ashabab is not a Somali, I mean, they are not Somalis, but they are using the Somali youth to fight for them. That's what I should say. And coming back to you, Andrew, um, I lived in Kenya for six months in 2011. At that time, no one really talked about Al-Shabaab. And now when I come back, that's the talk of the town. So uh, can you tell us how Al-Shabaab has kind of made their mark in, uh, in Kenya since in the last couple of years? Um, I agree with my brother here. Al-Shabaab are not Somalis, but indirectly, Al-Shabaab are Somalis as well. Uh, and in one or the other, the environment and the context of Somalia gave Al-Shabaab privilege and opportunity to grow. So in one or the other, we can't fail to define Al-Shabaab in the context of Somalia. Uh, based on the fact that well uh, from the Islamic court uh, group uh, to the first uh, federal government that came, the failure of all this, that's where the Al-Shabaab came as a group of Mujahideen to fight and stand for the uh, Somalis' right. So what came later is the concept was lost. So Al-Shabaab initially, to me, was fighting maybe for a good cause to say. So it bred, it grew, it happened in Somalia. But then the philosophy and ideology was dropped by other people with personal interests, like the way you talked about clan issue as well, whereby the clan factor is not bad, but it can be robbed with the people with bad intention. So our Shabab ideology was robbed by people. Maybe, they may be of Somali in origin, but live in Kenya or Yemen or Ethiopia, but now they brought the idea for their own personal interest. So Andrew. that's why when the Al Shabab came and uh, became an issue, which was not there before, that's why I was coming to your question. And initially, it wasn't there, but by 2011, it had already grown by as a movement. So this movement was to spread the ideology when they're trying to say so they have joined the Islamic uh, um, group uh, ISIS to be part of them. So they earned an ideology which was not initially part of the Al-Shabaab movement that which aim was to liberate Somali as a region. But now their interest and to go overboard, as we see in other part of the well world, uh, to say militia groups. I'll just say yeah. here. Uh, I'm sorry, I just, I let just let want to just go back to Kenya. Yeah. Just briefly, we can go back to Give this. Give me one minute. Let me just comment there. You get 30 seconds. Yeah, okay, 30 seconds, okay. Mm. Uh, in 1989, mm. I mean, yeah, in 1998, uh, when Nairobi and, and uh, Tanzania, I mean, yes. Dar es Salaam attack has happened. Was there any Somali who was a no. member of Shabab in Kenya? No. Then who did it? Uh, well, there were the Al Qaeda and Mohammed Faisal but from. What uh, is the difference between Shabab and Al Qaeda? Uh, well, what what I'm trying to say is they are the same. So yes. you have your problem already before Shabab was invented in yes. Somalia. Yes. And look at Mombasa, what has happened. So it's the mem the people who live in the coast, the Muslims who live in the coast who see themselves as marginalized who are doing this one. So it's not only the Somalis or a Shabab yeah. who
who started this one. Yes. So now they are using the same method because they have been, uh, I mean, they have been in Somalia and when Somalia became like, okay, we don't need you here. When Somalia said, we don't need you here. And the Somali started to develop towards peace and, and, and uh, prosperity. The Kenyans could not do anything in Somalia. They could not stay there. So they came back where they came from and brought back the problem. They just came with, I mean, just took to us, to Somalia. So that's, that's, that's the reality. It's not like, okay, Somalia was the breeding ground for the, you know, it, it was not bred there. It has come from Kenya and into Somalia and came back to you. That's I my perspective. I really want well us to go back <laughs> to Kenya before we discuss this even further because I'm we'll sure we can do this for a while. Um, so I wanted to know, um, Al-Shabaab, what have they been doing in Kenya? Andrew. Uh, well, uh, the Al-Shabaab topic can be very tricky, in other words. Um, especially like the way Umar, I agree with him to some extent, but the point of disagreement is essentially on the genesis of the group and the movement. It's like trying to say Boko Haram is Ethiopia, in other words, if it attacks well Ethiopia. Boko Haram is Nigerian. No, yes, I'm trying to bring, yeah. the Boko Haram also was invaded by the uh, ideologies which are not Islam, they are not uh, ethnic, they are political maybe to say, to drive our point like the way Al-Qaeda was attacking everywhere to drive a point that no, has no ethnic, religious, or political basis. So it's the same like Boko Haram. Al-Shabaab under an ideology, but this ideology and a context, however it was stolen by a group who had personal interest. So Al-Shabaab started spreading as well, and Kenya, I can say, also became a breeding spot of Al-Shabaab because we see people from different um, not necessarily Somali. We have seen Kenyans who are also from other ethnic groups. We have seen Kikuyus, we have seen Luos. We have seen uh, every part of Kenyans, indigenous people as well, uh, as well as Somali indigenous, being part of Al-Shabaab. So uh, in one or the other, Al-Shabaab found a breeding space in Kenya context, to say, uh, due to maybe uh, of our own political challenges and differences. Um, because uh, I, I can maybe arguably say that whereby they're trying to, to come in between the political differences that emerge in Kenya as well. Uh, like we see the case of Mpeketono, um, which was claimed to be our Shabab, but in bracket, it's arguing that is an ethnic issue uh, between Kenyans' uh, ethnic groups as well. So our differences as well have created a breeding ground. Then there is also context of corruption to say within Kenya as well, uh, <laughs> especially in the um, security issues and other matters that pertains to governance. But to go to the very basic level, I'll say this myself, we are talking about uh, some widely publis uh, publicized uh, terror attacks that Al-Shabaab has claimed responsibility for. So we're talking about the Westgate attacks and the attacks in Garissa and uh, quite a few other smaller incidences, smaller in terms of numbers of people affected, but not in terms of human suffering. What has been the Kenyan government's response to, uh, to these attacks? I want to go back to Andrew again, sorry. Well, uh, 
the response has been detrimental. Um, and I think that's what we are facing now presently of uh, matter of national security versus uh, a personal or human dignity, especially to the refugees, whereby you meet uh, uh, the government trying to put some measures because the two attacks uh, were generally associated with the uh, Al-Shabaab, um, both of Gariza and Westgate, whereas we saw even some group of uh, people as coming as from Norway itself. So it had an international outlook to say, some attacks like uh, the Westgate. And then the Gariza one also, and uh, the Kenyan outlook. One of the guy, uh, university graduate, a well-learned person of Kenyan um, origin was involved in the attack. So we can't predominantly say it was a Somali group of people attacking. But the narrative will change mainly uh, whereby Somalis people suffered more than any other group because there was round up, uh, detention, and uh, containment done in, especially in Italy. Uh, I remember also some of the MPs of uh, Somali ethnic group were arrested and detained when they're trying to protest. And that was also what has projected to say the issue of reparation, which is to take place, maybe, of whether it's called voluntary, is voluntary in quotes because in one or the other is a push. You have to leave in one or the other. And it's taking political landscape in one or the other that the dab is Lee is becoming a breeding ground. And when you look to those two areas, they are predominantly Somali, uh, majority ethnic Somali people. So uh, the Shabab attack has threatened a, a concept which in one or the other is trying to paint bad picture, not only to the Al-Shabaab there, but uh, to the Kenyan ethnic Somalis. But as well, it projected the attack maybe going Amazon, uh, Kenya going to, to Somalia, which has also created a bad blood to two friendly countries, Kenya and uh, Somalia. So those well, are what uh, the consequences in here. So yeah, Mar, would you like to add something yeah, about I the consequences on yeah, Somalis yeah. in that's Kenya? That's, that, that's uh, I mean, where I just want to comment because he doesn't want to touch it. He doesn't want to touch it because mm -hmm. the Kenyan government, they have taken, you know, Safi, I mean, measurements. They have detained thousands of thousands of people, children, women, and they put into, I mean, a football field more than 10 days. And that was kind of just the, I mean, it's, let, let me just use a Somali proverb which says, you know, sorry, uh, I'll take it into Somali and translate it into English. Mm -hmm. They say it. Which means everything belongs to Eva, because she has taken uh, she has taken us out of the predators. That's the why the Somalis use. So the Kenyans are using every bad things belongs to Somalis, because a Shabab has come from there, which is not true. So they don't go after a Shabab, which was Kenyans who did that. I mean the attack in Lamu, the attack in Garissa. Okay, well Westgate, some of them were. So they are not going after the Kenyan Shabab. They are going after the innocent people living in Nairobi. What Nairobi people did in 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 in, in Garissa, what they did in uh, so it's just the, the Somalis. They have they did it. So we have to put them together, and we don't. And I will just quote one of the I mean uh, one of the I mean uh, the previous I mean minister of uh, security. Yeah. He said the snake is in Somalia. 
the snake is in Somalia and its head in is in Islee. So he started to, I mean, detain the people who are in Islee, which is not good. Another one who was the head of the police department in Islee said, those people, we cannot differentiate them. There are those, we, we cannot, we do not know who, who we can talk to, mm. including the Somali Kenyans. So they have started, I mean, to detain people, even Kenyans, and put into, I mean, that uh, football field and keep them days and days without giving them food and water. Mm. So that was the consequences. I think, uh, let's say it's, uh, it's five to uh, seven and we have arrived at the current day context, which is what you came for. So um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the current politics and current affairs in Kenya now that we try to map out the context that we're talking about. Um, I want to start with the really basic questions. Um, <coughs> now, who are the Somalis living in uh, in Kenya? Does it make sense to talk about one Somali community living in Kenya? Well, uh, Mary can start. Yeah, is it me or him? It's you. Yeah. Okay, uh, the Somalis in Kenya, they are Somalis. Still, I will say they are Somalis because they they belong to the same ethnic ethnic group, which is Somali, but they are divided into three communities: refugees who are living in the camps. Somali Kenyans, and those who are running the business in Islee, you know, immigrants, I will just use the word immigrants. And those people, uh, those communities have different kind of, I mean, I mean, political influence in the, in the, in the Kenyan, I mean, policy. Uh, if we take in Islee, uh, it was, uh, there was a parliament member who was elected first time in the history of Kenya from Nairobi, from Islee. And that's because of the Somali community living in Islee and running the business. And when it comes to the Kenyan, I mean, uh, Kenyan Somalis, they are still the marginalized group of Kenyan. Because when you go to Garissa, Wajer, let us just take, uh, let me take an example of the, of the problem of, I mean, Ashawab coming into Kenya. Why Ashawab comes to Mandera? Wajer and Garissa, which is deep in Kenya. Because the Kenyans do not care who's dying. Those are Somalis, and they are part of the problem. So we don't care who they are. But when you came to the Tana River, the bridge in Garissa, maybe you have been, you know, there. They do a lot of, I mean, security measures. They just control, I mean, how can I just mention, you know, how can I just say it? No one can cross there without I mean, being, I mean, uh, searched, I mean, very hard. So, you know, I don't know how I can say, but those people are not Kenyans, but they are Kenyans. You know, they are the Kenyans who are not Kenyans. And when I came to the uh, Somalis in the refugee, in the camps, they are refugee, and they have their own, I mean, uh, Kenyan. Uh, they have their own, I mean, they are, a category of the Somali uh, people in Kenya, and they stay in. So I will divide into those three categories, you know. So Somalis are Somalis, but they are divided into three communities. And you would, like, would you like to add something to this? Well, I, I think, yes, Somalis are Somalis, but we have Kenyan Somalis, and we have Somalis who have come in Kenya since 1991. 
as part of refugees and also part of business communities. So I can divide them in two categories. Um, the both, there are those refugees who have come permanent settlement in Kenya and they have become assimilated and became part of Kenya, Kenyans by all means. Uh, they have rights to enjoy, to live, to do business and everything like other Kenyans. But there are still those who haven't been put in the system to become uh, part of Kenya system who maybe in one or the other, based on the logistic of refugees, they have to go back to Somali Republic. Uh, but the great, there is great contribution of uh, Somali communities, whether those Somali communities who are Kenyans, because I don't think there's the much contribution of the refugees, uh, especially when they come, is limited. Um, but the very coming of, of uh, Somalis in Kenya, I don't know if there's correlation because there has been upside uh, population growth of the Somalis of Kenya as well, uh, moving from being a minority uh, ethnic group, only minority by marginalization to say, being in a one of the underst part of Kenya. But now at least they have a command in terms of number whereby the Somali population has grown from 600,000 by the 90s to 2.3 or 2.4 million at the stands present. We have seen Somalis being engaged in business activities, having a central role, especially in Nairobi, uh, Isili being predominantly one of the main uh, economic place of Nairobi with contributing maybe to over 20 or 25 or 35% of the tax of Nairobi town. So Somali factor in Kenya is not a factor that you can wish anyway in terms of business and the other contribution. Though still, I cannot fail to say, those in northern eastern part of Kenya still remain a marginalized group. But I don't know how much the new constitution, which has given more of a devolving, devolved government, will create. Because now, the people of Mandela have the power of their own to shape their own region. The people of Garissa have their power to shape their own region. The people of Moyale and other places have. So are the people in Trokana who are being marginalized. So we can't only paint a picture of Somalis as the only marginalized group in Kenya. There are others who have been marginalized, facing same consequences. However, maybe Somalis are being more vocal to be earned. They speak. If you don't open the door for them, maybe they'll come and knock and go with it. So that's the difference between Somalis versus maybe Trokana and other group of Kenya. And that's the difference. And you can see as well, Somalis now are so much prominent in the government. Unlike most ethnic groups of Kenya, the foreign minister, the minister for industrialization, we have two already uh, Somalis in the Supreme Court. We have the former ABC electoral commission chairman was a Somali. The former person was spearheading the uh, constitution making in Kenya was a Somali. So, yes. Yeah. So you look that there is great contribution. The current uh, Lindo majority in parliament is a Somali. So in one or the other, Somali factor is growing in Kenya in tremendous way, which something which cannot be wished in Yeah, yeah. That's something they have been fighting for years, you know, since 1963. But let me just, ju uh, you said the Somalis are focal. They have been. Look at uh, in 1985 when screening issue has started in Garissa, where they, had d where they have tried to denationalize 
some Somalis and deported many many people. Yeah. People were talking, you know, they were talking. But the the reason that why they are coming you know out and becoming you know stronger and stronger is that people have gone outside. They have been in diaspora, and there's a lot of people coming back from diaspora and just starting. You know, they were educated in Australia. They were educated in England. They were educated many other places, and they came back and they are like the one you mentioned, which is the I mean uh, electoral commission. He was educated in Australia. He is one of the diaspora who came back to the country. So those people who came back, they have started, I mean, to to go to schools and learn, I mean, educate themselves and come back and uh, contribute, uh, I mean, uh, contribute how to build their society and make them a part of the Kenyan, I mean, people. So that's that's the, 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 the reason. But it's not that, okay, they have not been focal, you know, previously, and they have started to become. So we have to look at why and what makes them now to grow. And it's the, you know, diaspora community, I mean, diaspora people who are coming back from outside who are have taken, you know, the role to build up the country. Well, some of them, uh, like Farah Ma'alim and Yusuf Haji and other, they have been educated in Kenya, but there were very few people who were in the military. So that's the difference between, I mean, that time and now. So if we want to be a little bit Eurocentric for a moment, um, in Norway, as, as you know, you live in Norway, both of you, um, you have a populist wave of the kind of alt-right movement, same as we're seeing in the rest of Europe, where right-wing politicians are capitalizing on people's fear of or animosity towards refugees, or creating that fear, you might want to say to gain political points. Um, we have not really seen a similar movement in Kenya. It's not to say that there is no discussion about the Somali issue, but it's not the same strong populist movement as, as we've seen in Europe. Can you tell us a bit about why? Andrew, I think this is for you. Well, uh, Kenyan generally, we I think maybe it emanates from the African culture. We don't fear foreigners or we don't fear uh, visitors. Uh, the scope is changing, so anybody is welcome because upon definition, these communities interacted since times immemorial, despite the political boundaries that were created to say this is Kenya. This is Somali, this is Ethiopia, this is uh, Uganda, Southern Sudan, ETC. So you meet uh, the Somalis of Somali Republic. They have sisters and brothers living in Kenya. Like the way you'll have Maasai's of Tanzania having brothers and sisters living in Kenya. Luos of Uganda, Tanzania having Luos in Kenya. So these were more boundary problems created. Uh, so when the Somali coming in Kenya as a refugees, the question of being welcome is not much a question. Other maybe questions may arise uh, in terms of politics, in terms of economic sustainability, uh, in terms of interaction and other kind of things because uh, uh, there is not that much cultural differences to fear because uh, maybe in the West, there is claimer and clown of the cultural differences that emanate from the refugees of other regions. Uh, uh, so it clowns and brings a political clowns. It's not only a political uh, narrative, but there's a cultural narrative to it. But in African context, I don't think there's much of that uh, 
uh, cultural narrative. So when the refugees come, especially maybe so refugees came from different parts of Africa to Kenya, uh, were they welcomed enough? Well, it depends with the context and how the uh, capability of Kenya to welcome them and to sustain them. Uh, have they interfered and helped shape Kenya context? Yes. Some have did tremendously in shaping Kenya context. And especially when I look to the Somalis, they have done tremendous uh, contribution in terms of politics, as I say, and in terms of economic progressions. Uh, will they, do they influence that uh, perimeters of the current politics? In one or the other, yes, they influence. But still, we should remember in Kenyan politics, is not so much, there are some issues, but it's not so much issue-based. There are some ideologies, but it's not so much ideological-based. There may be some principles, but it's not so much principle-based. So the language is ethnic. You may be of different ideology, but you come from same ethnic group, but you support one party. So ideology is not much of a factor, west, right, where you belong, no. So what can Somali ethnic group contribute to the large scale of Kenya politics? They are doing in great way, because the issue of refugee will not be a factor, but at least the Somali elites and the people in government, every party, whether it's the two main parties in Kenya, NASA or Jubilee, will try to please the Somali elites on their side. And especially when you go to northeastern part where the clan factor still is very prominent, that's where you see there are some parties emerging now in northeastern part of Kenya who want to have that clan factor. But then both major parties, NASA and Jubilee, are trying there to try and to bring their ontology to them so that they can be able to shape their political landscape. Do the Somalis have a number? Yes. Uh, a population 2.4 million is not something to wish away with, especially in the political landscape of Kenya, whereby people try to amalgate in terms of what do you have to bring in my basket in terms of voters. So, so refugees have something to contribute. Yeah. Omar, <laughs> I just wanted to ask you, uh, you're a journalist uh, and you're following the news in uh, Kenya closely. Uh, so if I open a Kenyan newspaper, um, how... What, what is going to be the language in which the Somali issue or Somalis are being discussed? Uh, in many ways. Uh, first of all, uh, the whenever you open, uh, I mean, a journal from Kenya, the first thing that you would see is the current Somali, I mean, politics, you know, how it's going on. The, and the second one is about a Shabab. And the third will be like, the fighting that's going on somewhere in Kenya, uh, in, in Somalia. They are not focusing on the Somali people in Kenya. They are not just writing more about that one. And sometimes they write, and there are some, I mean, uh, journalists, you know, Somali journalists who, is, uh, who were born in Kenya and educated in Kenya trying to write some articles. But it's not that, I mean, that much. The most, you know, well-known uh, journal in Kenya is the Daily Standard, I think. Mm -hmm. And you might never see an article talking about the Somali, I mean, Somalis in Kenya. They are more about Somalia and what's going on in Somalia. So that's it, you know, that's the reality. Because they don't want to talk about the, the, the Kenyan Somalis and what's going on in Kenya uh, in relation with the Somali people in Kenya. So we started a bit late, but I still wanted to finish on time. And I'm sure there are loads of questions from the audience. 
Um, before we open for that, I just want to ask you, is there anything that we have not talked about yeah. that you would be <coughs> terribly sad if you go home without talking about? Yeah, I want to, to, to talk about a little bit the, the last, you know, question when he was answering. Uh, it was very interesting, you know, to, I mean, to see that question, you know, to, you know, to ask that question. And uh, I will uh, say, you know, the Kenyan politicians cannot, I mean, use the masses, you know, to, uh, to to mobilize them as a nationalist, or they cannot just take towards that, you know, direction, towards the direction that most of the European countries are going. Uh, and the reason is that Kenya are divided into ethnic groups. And those ethnic groups have different kind of issues. And even some of them have uh, people from from Tanzania, when you look at the Maasai, uh, and he mentioned Lewis who are living in Uganda and coming back to there. So nationalism cannot, I mean, be uh, something that uh, politicians can use to mobilize the people. So it's the clan issue. I mean, the, the ethnic issue that dominates the Kenyan politics. And when you want to become a president, it's only Kukuyo or Kilinja or the other who will become because they are the majority. So that's what is, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, blame a role in the Kenyan. So it wouldn't just, I, I can't say that it can happen in Kenya at all. So that's what I just wanted to add. Andrew, do you want to add something? Maybe about the closure of the dub? Oh, yes, maybe I can add that. That's interesting. I don't want to talk that about uh, that. <laughs> well, for me, I can say uh, from a Kenyan perspective, but from a human rights perspective, Kenyan, despite that, is being challenged on uh, national security and as national interest issues. Uh, they should rethink the human value. Uh, a Somali Republic is growing, it's emerging, it's stabilizing, but I don't think it's ready to host uh, the four over 400,000 refugees now in the camps. Uh, these are human who are benefiting from a system by sustainers who don't know where they go back. So the closure of the dub should not be something which should be done instantly. It should be something which should be done spontaneously uh, to the people who will be willing to go. And if they are willing to be supported, it should not be must uh, something to say voluntarily when indirectly in it's a forced uh, repatriation. Because uh, Kenya should remember that it's part of signatory of the um, 1951 resolutions uh, uh, of the UN in terms of uh, refugees and also is part of OAU. Uh, it has ratified uh, the whole UN agreement on the issues of uh, refugees. So it should look on the broader picture and act in human dignity to these uh, Somali refugees. That's ev eventually they'll go back but at least there should be a process. These people need support uh, in one or the other. At least when they go back to Somali, they will not feel like part of neglect. Yes, there are challenges to it, but close of the dub, for me, I think it should be something which should be gradual rather than something which is more spontaneous. That's my take to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to open the floor for questions. Um, if you please raise your hand into the air. And go up here to uh, join Johan and then say your name. And uh, 
Can I say something? Usually when I open for questions, there are loads of people who raise their hands. They are almost only men. So can I please ask the ladies in the room to also make your voices heard? Let's ask the gentleman first and then move to you. Good evening. My name is Walter Odondi. I'm also working on uh, radicalization and extremism, uh, both in Kenya and uh, with LNU in, uh, in Norway. Um, I had you, the problem with uh, Kenya and Somalia is that instead of joining hands and fighting uh, radicalization together, they blame each other, just as we have seen there. Everyone is saying it's the other one, it's the other one. Um, my question is to the Somali friend, Umar. Uh, we've seen a lot of issues, with, uh, with a lot of problems with the integration of the Somali community. Uh, in Kenya, the you'll, s you'll find them in Isli or South Sea, and in Norway, generally, you'll find them at Kronland. What do you think we can do to integrate the Somali, Somali people and let net not like uh, seclude themselves. Mm. Number two is uh, what do you think are the real causes of extremism in Kenya and what can we do as East Africa? Thank you. Johan, could you pass the microphone on there first? Um, hi. My name is Gitonga Dorcas. Uh, I'm a student. My question is, uh, what, what is the, to both of you, whoever answers, uh, what do you think is the matter of closure of the camp? What do you think is the role of uh, the international community? Because the Kenyan government talks of uh, the refugees being a burden to the economy. Don't you think it would be only fair if the international community also comes up and help the government. If you go to the embassies in Kenya, there are hundreds of Somalis going to uh, different uh, embassies just to look for visas to come to Europe. So what is the role of this international community that, that is just looking at the situation that is happening in Kenya but not uh, giving help? Yes. Thank you. Who wants to go first? Yeah. Omar? Mm. Yeah. To that gentleman, uh, the, the integration, what can we do? And why the Somalis are in Groland and other places? I'll just answer, it's because of the language and culture. Somalis like, you know, we are oral society. We use our language to consummate, you know, information. And the other thing is the system itself, you know, this, the Norwegian system is like, uh, how can I just explain? You know, the Norwegian system is made for people who are, let me just put into perspective, you know, when a man comes from Somalia to Norway, or a woman, she has already information about Somalia, uh, about Norway, before even they came to here. So as soon as they came, the first place that they will go is Groland to get more information. Well, the issue is different like uh, when it comes to the people who were born here, I mean like those who came as a young or those who were born here, they are different, they are not in Groland, they are just at work. Those who are in Groland are people like me who just were born in Somalia and came 
as an adult who likes to follow the information in Somalia. And I like, you know, to hear from a Somali instead of, I mean, hearing from radio or journal, you know. I want to go to, the Somali, to a Somali man and ask what has happened in Somalia. So it's kind of, I mean, information sharing. That's the first one. The second one is, uh, you know, uh, the second one is Somalis, they like, I mean, they, they are like free people. They like to be free from, I mean, being directed to one direction. So whenever uh, a Somali is comes to a country, uh, what they try to look for is how can they do, I mean, their things, you know, with other Somalis instead of going to the Arab communities. So to say, I'm sorry to say it, but the Somalis are in any way, I mean, uh, a group who likes to stay together, who likes to share information together. But these days they have started, you know, to open, I mean, to that towards the other. And even this, I mean, another thing which I will just mention is, if I take as an example here in Norway, the system itself is not supporting the Somalis to come and join with their, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, go to and or contact with other, I mean, communities. Look in in US, you know, they are developing because they have got the opportunity to take, I mean, to 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 contact with other communities, and it's the system which let them go. But the main reason that Somalis are, I mean, together always is that they are a community which is uh, close to each other, which is related, and they always want to talk to each other, want to share their information together. That's the only, I mean, answer which I can give to this. And what com when it comes to what can we do extremism, that's something that, something that is, I mean, the answer is, I mean, the answer should, uh, this question should be answered by the international community because extremism is not only something that's happened in Somalia, mm. it's happened everywhere. So I can't say that this question should be answered by a Somali, but I mean, internationally. So Andrew, do you want to uh, answer the Dadal question? Mm. Uh, even the first one, I agree with him. Where people live is much of cultural and social aspect which they share together. I it has been argued the first Norwegian immigrant who went to USA, they had small Norwegian kind of community as well. So when people move somewhere for the first time, they always find a position because you share something in common. But I don't think actually in Kenya Somalis are only still live because the town I actually come from, I have the best opportunity to interact to go to school with majority of Somalis, uh, we share business together because I come from the town which sells cats. Maybe Somali will not like me now. Um, um, but we have interacted with Somalis and my town to the is also a large population of Somalis and we share everything, we share language and they are our brothers in my small town called Mawa in Kenya. So Somalis are integrative and they open up to spaces. Closing of the dub. Um, has Kenya been neglected by international community? Well, in some ways, yes, because when the issue of crisis of security has come, uh, the international communities in one or the other have been trying to relate the concept and the issues, the factors of refugees with the insecurity issues, because 
uh, some of the fight Kenya is fighting, especially going to Somali, was attributed to the, the attack to the influx of refugees in Kenya. Um, but for me, I believe African problem will be solved by African themselves. It's the highest time we stop crying for and saying international community come and help us. And for first time actually, we have seen success when Amazon has gone to Somali. Somali government is in talks with the rest of leaders in Africa. And for the first time we are seeing success in Somali Republic. And I believe the current government will be able to continue with the changes effected with the little support that is coming from the African Union and maybe other friends, international friends. But still I believe Kenya should not be left with the largest group of uh, refugees in Africa to die alone without necessary support. But uh, for the long period, Kenya has been supported, I think so. And as well, the presence of the DAB camp, I speak it again, uh, has also been instrumental to Kenyan community who have been doing business there. So it's not only a loss factor, but maybe in some way it has been win-win factor between Kenyan community and the presence of the DAB camp in Kenya in one or the other. I hope I have responded to your mm. question. Great. I'm seeing two hands, one over there and one over there. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Hamde and I'm a student. My English is a bit rusty, so I hope you can forgive it's me good, for that. It's good. Uh, I would like to respond to this gentleman's question or how he formulated his question as Somalis being a group that struggles with integrating into society in Kenya and in Norway. Mm. First of all, I think it is wrong to compare the Somalis living in Norway to Somalis living in Kenya. Yeah. The Somalis living in Kenya, many of them already live there because they're ethnically Somalis mm. just happening to be within the border of Kenya. And uh, from the discussion we have seen that there has been policies and discrimination towards these, uh, this ethnic group. So to say that why shouldn't they integrate is a very, I think it's very uh, insulting to us. Uh, like, how can you expect them to want to be a part of a society that does not include them or that specifically discriminates them? So that is one part of my answer. The second part is that Somalis in Norway are, they have not lived very long in Norway. Many of them are still coming and it takes time for people to adapt to a new place, new society, learning the language and integrating into the society as a whole. The younger generations of Somalis today, most of them take higher education. They're well integrated into the society. They work and pay taxes, like every other, uh, every other person. So what I'm trying to say here is that you cannot like problematize Somalis as a group that struggles with integration when, when, when the experience has been so different mm. yeah. for the different groups. Mm. So thank That's you. Good. Mm. Let's have one more question, then you get the chance to answer. Um, over there. Johan, there. Uh, uh, you good? Uh, we're, we're actually, yeah. we're 
uh, taping this for the podcast, so. <laughs> so, hi, my name is Sulvai. I've just spent two months in Kenya uh, working with radicalization and uh, violent extremism. Um, and the thing you're saying that Somalis in Kenya are integrated, but the perception that I got during my stay there is that a lot of Kenyan Somalis are are a minority that on many levels are discriminated um, in many ways. Like uh, one of our um, friends who came to Norway is Kenyan born, uh, but with uh, Somali parents, mm. right? Okay, Somali in Kenya, mm. um, and even though integrated and all that kind of stuff, experienced a lot of discrimination from the police just getting a passport. Mm. Um, so would you say that there's still problems with integration of Somalis and Kenyan Somalis mm. in Kenya? We are going to wrap it up and let those two questions be the last questions that we're asking. And they're, I guess, the same. To what extent would you say that there is still discrimination against Somalis in Kenya? And uh, to what extent do you think that uh, one should hold a population uh, that is marginalized responsible for their own integration? Mm. Andrew? Okay, yeah. Uh, the point what I brought integration, in Kenya, the term integration can be problematic and discrimination can also be problematic because it goes with different level. For example, any community, any ethnic group in Kenya can feel discriminated. Well, what do I mean? Let's say for now, one ethnic group has been power since independence. Do other ethnic group feel discriminated enough? In some way, yes. There are some who argues we have been discriminated to occupy office for the presidency. So there is limitation based on our ethnic group. And one the other, they feel like minority, even if they might be my majority. And then there'll be another strand of perspective. How has been appointment be done in the government? which ethnic group occupy power in Kenya. For example, now we talk of Somalis having five or six people in authority. How many Trokanas do we have in power? How many Omolos do we have in power? How many Mijikendas do we have in power? There might be none. Are they discriminated? They might feel that. Should Somalis feel they are discriminated? Yes, they should, because of the level of aspect which discriminate them same as Trokanas, might be discriminated in one perspective. So the level of discrimination in Kenya is very problematic to say, unlike maybe where we can come in Norway, uh, which is more egalitarian society, where discrimination will be very visible by every person to face it and see you are discriminating me because of this and that. But in Kenya, perspective will differ, as I've said. So Somalis, yes, they are being discriminated maybe in terms of ID, getting ID, whereby uh, me, I'll not be asked to bring my grandfather and grandmother's ID to prove that I'm a Kenyan by virtual birth. I'll be asked for my parents. But for them, because there is that misconception, this might be a Somali from Somali Republic who is trying this guy to get ID, you'll be discriminated that way. Or 
because of the leveling of the issues of emergence of uh, uh, terrorism and other things, we are trying to level uh, Somalis as uh, terrorists. That's a language that sometimes in Kenya we use often to even to tout others. Like Kikuyus, we call them thieves. Sorry to say that. Luos, we call them they are proud. Sorry to say that. Kenya, we have certain stereotypes which emanate within our context, which we are built. They may look discriminative to somebody who understands the language of the context, but they may not be. But when they become systematized, that when it becomes problem. When one room enjoys, one group enjoys power over the other, and the others are limited, that's when it becomes problem. But social, cultural aspect of touting and stereotyping is very common in Kenya. Now it has gone even to the, to the entertainment field. We entertain each other by talking like Somali, by talking like a Luo, by talking like a Meru, or something else, ETC. So we are that kind of community, but discrimination can be problematic when trying to undo it and trying to figure it. But still, I don't want to rule out that Somalis in one or the other discriminated, but I don't want to put it that they are the only group of Kenyans who are facing discrimination. That's my point. Omar, you get the final word of the day. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I will thank the, I completely agree. It's, uh, we are letting Omar have the final word, and then they are going to be here, and they don't get to leave until they answer audio questions. Yeah, first of all, uh, uh, I will... Would you say something? Okay, thank you very much. I, uh, I completely agree with you. And it's, it's wrong, you know, to put all the Somalis I mean, in one group and just com compare with those who are from Norway, uh, with those who are in, in Kenya or other places. But what I meant is to answer uh, the question was like, why Somalis are like this here in Norway and other places? So that's wha what I was trying. And thanks for just uh, coming with that, I mean, explanation. And I uh, thank you. But uh, when I came back to the, I mean, uh, the issue under discussion, uh, the discrimination issue has been, I mean, uh, there. Uh, against the Somalis in Kenya. Uh, if you go back to 19, I mean, 86 when screening has started, there was a lot of Somalis who were denationalized because of being a Somali. And no other, I mean, ethnic group of Kenya have had screening issue. They have never done against the Maasai who were living across the border. They never did against the Luo who was living across the and still that kind of, I mean, screening, which is uh, completely, I mean, uh, a discrimination, I mean, uh, issue, uh, is still used by the Kenyans. And anyone who wants to get a passport have to go down, have to go back to where he came from and just get some kind of, I mean, documentation from someone. And that should have to come to the, I mean, uh, Garis or Wajer and must be seen someone who is a Kenyan, not a Somali, but other groups. I sorry, I would use Kenyan because those who are, fr I mean, across the the Tan River, see themselves as a Kenyans and Somalis. Still, they, though they they claim to be a Kenyan, they are not. I mean, feeling being a Kenyan, have to I mean go through a lot of process to get a passport or other documents which are showing their identity as a Kenyan. So this discrimination discrimination exists. And I don't know when it will end, but still it exists. And I think that it will exist, you know, 
even the coming years. I think things are getting better. Well, <laughs> let, <laughs> let us see. I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah, I'm optimistic. We are going to wrap it up there on time. Um, thank you so much to our panel um, for coming. Let's have an applause for them. <laughs> and uh, thank you to each and everyone who asked a question. Um, it's actually quite nerve wracking, so come on. And uh, thank you all for coming. I'm sure, Johan, you want to have a last word? Well, I'll, I'll just thank the panelists and Lena for, um, for, for this. And to each and every one of you for coming. Um, I forgot in the beginning to, to mention the thing that I actu actually mentioned during the Q&A session, that uh, this seminar, we are recording it and we will subject to no technical difficulties. It will become a, a, a podcast uh, so that each and every one of your friends who didn't have the chance to be here can listen to it afterwards. So please just like our page on Facebook uh, or follow us on, uh, subscribe to our podcast on your, on your um, device, wherever you get your podcast and you'll, you'll get all of the events that uh, the Norwegian Council for Africa hosts. Uh, and of course, welcome back uh, in a month. Uh, I the next, the May edition of Africa Now will focus on Angolan politics and the fact that the thirty, uh, the the president for thirty eight years now is stepping down from power, and what will happen next? Uh, and not least, what's the role of Norwegian companies and Norwegian, Norwegian authorities uh, relating to that. So, uh, thank you all and welcome back. <laughs>